So, you know that phrase, everyone has a number? You can't see me, but I'm using air quotes when I say that. Well, I'm going to talk about that idea, idea seriously for a few minutes. Sorry if you thought this was going to be a stand-up show. So, salespeople have a number. It's around $5,000 a day. That's how much they have to sell to make quota. Typically, for an enterprise salesperson, around a million dollars of quota per year, you divide that by the number of workdays, it comes out to around $5,000. It's pretty easy math, and it's pretty motivating for most salespeople. In fact, if you're not motivated by a number like that, you might not be a good salesperson in the first place. But you might ask, how do salespeople use this number? How do they turn that number into action? What does it motivate salespeople to do? Well, they typically have a few other numbers they know. These are more numbers that the organization knows. How many customer meetings it takes to get a sale, for example? How many phone calls it takes to get a customer meeting? How many sales they have to make in order to make quota? What's the average sale price? So if you put those numbers together, maybe it, to get a million dollars in revenue, it's 25 deals. To get 25 deals, you have to send out 75 quotes. To get 75 quotes, you have to have 300 meetings. To get 300 meetings, you have to have 2,100 calls. That's about 11 calls per day. So generally speaking, that means about 10 or more phone calls per day to generate the quota for the year for an average enterprise salesperson. Now each individual call probably won't turn into a sale. The chances of each individual call turning into a sale are pretty small. But on average, each of those calls is worth about $500. So they better make those calls in order to achieve their quota. Now that's how it works for salespeople. Now, welcome to this episode of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, a podcast not about how to be a good salesperson, but on how to be an effective product manager. I'm Nils Davis, and I want to talk about how this concept of a number can be used by product managers and what type of action it should spur us to take and what the numbers really look like for us as product managers. So, as product managers, we're really expected to know the approximate business value of the product features we propose, or indeed if we create, if we propose a new product, we should have some sense of how much revenue is, that product is going to generate. But we often don't think of our own business value. In other words, how much value does or should a new product manager bring to a business? So we kind of know what that number is for a salesperson. After about six months of ramp up time, a new salesperson should be contributing about a million dollars of revenue to a business if everything else is working well. So shouldn't we have something similar when we bring a new product manager into the business? A forecast of sort of how much additional revenue we'll get because we have a new product manager? And assuming we came up with a value like that, how do we make sure as a product manager, as a product manager manager, that you achieve that value, that you actually get that result? So that's what I want to talk about today. Everyone in business has a business value of some kind. Otherwise, that person shouldn't be hired. The relationship of salespeople to business value is perhaps the most straightforward because the salespeople directly go get the revenue. But accountants and finance people are critical to keep the company's officers out of jail. And that's a pretty big business value. And IT managers don't generate revenue, but they make sure the systems that enable the company to design and make products, to market and sell products, and to count the money afterwards are all running. That's very important too. So we all have a business value, whether we're accountants or IT managers or salespeople or the janitor, or product managers. But what's our value? That's where I want to get to. 
Well, there's a simple calculation you can do. It says that based on standard software industry ratios, successful companies have about one product manager per $10 million of revenue. And since the primary job of a product manager is to define and guide the creation of a product that can be sold, I like to say that each product manager is responsible for that $10 million of revenue. In fact, if you think about it, product managers are really the leverage, the main leverage that companies have on revenue. We're a small group, but our job is to go find where revenue is going to come from, create the solutions that will enable that revenue, and help the company take those solutions to market. So one conclusion you can draw is that if you can improve the effectiveness of your product managers, increase their skills, reduce the amount of time they waste, enable them to find more important problems to solve faster, you can get a big return on that investment. Everything else being equal, if a PM, job, PM does a better job, then your company makes more revenue for essentially the same level of effort, which means that almost all that revenue goes straight to the bottom line. In other words, I have a set of engineers, and if I give them a good problem to solve, then we'll get a certain amount of revenue. If I give them a better problem to solve, we'll get more revenue. And so if I can do a better job of finding those problems, that's, that revenue is going to go straight to the bottom line, because I don't really need to add the much cost in order to achieve that. I just need to get better at my job. But $10 million in revenue, that's a lot of money. That's actually $41,000 a day. You can't just make a lot of phone calls to swing that. Like the salesperson can make 10 phone calls a day. But a product manager can't make enough phone calls to generate $41,000 a day. So the way to a, a product manager gets to his or her quota is different from how a salesperson achieves it. What do we do? Well, so we've talked about we have more influence on growth and success of the company than any salesperson. In fact, we control their lives. If we aren't solving important market problems with our products, then salespeople have no chance of making their quotas. And you, you may have seen this, you know, companies that have products that are not that exciting to the market, doesn't matter how good the salespeople are, you can't make their, they can't make their quotas. Now, on the other hand, if we get more effective, meaning getting better solutions to market faster, the benefits go straight to the bottom line, and the salespeople are super happy because they can make quota. Making us more effective has a really big ROI. So we know the number, and it's big and scary. What do we do with this newfound knowledge? Well, to start with, there's two key things you can do. First of all, you can assess where you are. And then secondly, you can figure out why you're there. So basically, now that we have a number, we can sort of say, do we have enough or too many product managers given our revenue or given our targeted revenue? Because just like for a salesperson where there needs to be a ramp-up period, Typically, the activities that I do as a product manager this year are going to turn into revenue 12 months or maybe even 18 months down the road. So there has to be a little bit of a lag time. So you really want to look at, do you have enough or too many product managers for the revenue you expect in 12 to 18 months? You can also ask if the ratio of product managers to salespeople and or developers is about right. So... Direct salespeople are about $1 million, one salesperson per about $1 million in revenue. Each salesperson typically has a $1 million quota. If you have inside salespeople, it might be a little different, and you'll have to do some adjustments to figure out the ideal sales force based on revenue. But basically all this boils down to there should be probably 5 to 10 salespeople per product manager. Is that about the right number? Is, about, is that about the number that you have in your organization? That's a good clue. Same for developers. 
um, there's typically around one developer per million dollars of forward-looking annual revenue. So if you have about five to ten developers per product manager, that's about the right ratio. If you have 20 developers per product manager, that's probably way too many developers. You, you don't have enough product managers around to keep those developers creating market-facing solutions. If you've got more than that in terms of more product managers per developers, you may have too many product managers. And they may be, may be ending up in the weeds and doing a lot, uh, way too much uh, highly detailed work with the developers as opposed to going out into the market and finding key market problems. So I call these assessments because you're just assessing where you stand based on those useful ratios. Now the next step is really to do some analysis. And this is where you figure out, given your assessment, how you got to where you are, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, and what you can do to, to get better. The first analysis to do, especially if your ratios is off, is to determine why. For example, if the number of developers and or product managers is way ahead of revenues, more than a year ahead, say, there can be multiple reasons, but you should try to understand why it might be happening. Now, there's a lot of venture-backed type companies that are in this situation early in their life cycle, so it's not necessarily a problem, but it might be a problem. Um, but, you know, oftentimes it takes a lot of money to create the first version of a product that you can take to market, and sometimes that is just means that you're way ahead of revenue. And, of course, you then need to make sure that you're going to make that revenue up down the road. The next set of analytics is to determine if you can improve your ratio, which means getting closer to the ideal ratio. And you can also drill into the investigation of the impacts of your current ratio. For example, if you have too few product managers, I mentioned this earlier, you might not be getting enough feature specifications from product management into development, leaving development trying to figure out what to do themselves, which, also, which then leads to the danger of the development work not being market-driven. Another thing that can happen if there aren't enough product managers is that sales might end up flailing because no one is giving the sales organization high-quality sales enablement materials, value propositions and qualification questions and so on. Same for marketing. Marketing and sales both depend on getting good information about the market segment that you need to attack, the value proposition, um, how to qualify. Those all come from product management because product management has been the, the organization out there talking to the market and finding the problems that the market has. On the other hand, if you have too many product managers, they might end up way too far in the weeds with developers. Now, this can happen even if the ratio is right, but it's a symptom of a different problem in that case. But if you have too many, in particular, you're probably going to be spending too much time in the weeds with developers, meaning writing detailed user stories, when really product managers should be out finding problems and working with the developers to come up with the solutions to those problems. So let's tie this into the effectiveness of product management. Tie the number into the effectiveness. So the focus of this podcast is on the case, of course, where you're unfortunately falling short in terms of revenue per product manager. And what does this usually mean? Well, there's basically three areas where the ratio can break down. And not surprisingly, they correspond to the three key components of product management, the market problem you're trying to solve, how well you solve it, and how well you take that solution to market. So if your product doesn't solve an important problem, then no one will buy it, no matter how good your salespeople are, and that means that your revenue is not going to be very big. 
Okay, that's an easy way to not achieve the, the goal of $10 million of revenue per product manager is to have a problem that nobody really needs. It doesn't solve an important problem. Now, the second way you can, you can fail to achieve your, your uh, revenue goal is if the problem is important, but your solution doesn't solve it well, or it's inferior to other available solutions. Now, you can sometimes sell the product in this case, but it won't fly off the shelves. And again, you're going to probably have a disappointing level of revenue. But even if you have a product that does a good job of solving an important problem, if the market doesn't know you have it, if the salespeople can't articulate the value proposition, if the leads you get are for people who don't have your problem, then you're unlikely to be able to sell your product effectively. This is a much less likely situation, but it certainly can happen. Now, given all those points, if you don't do a good job on the first one, finding and validating a market problem that people will pay for, it really doesn't matter what you do on number two and number three, creating the solution and taking it to market. Bottom line, don't worry about creating the solution and taking it to market if you haven't found a good market problem because you're not going to be very successful. Now, unfortunately, for most product companies, the market problem is the most likely culprit. In other words, number one. Or rather, I should maybe say, the lack of a market problem. So lots of people create products that don't really solve an important market problem, and unsurprisingly, mostly those products don't do very well in the market. And this is why it's so tough. You really need to assess whether your product is really solving an important market problem for which there's willingness to buy a solution. If there's not a real market problem there, then spending effort on fixing the product or fixing the sales process will be completely wasted. And that means that usually the, the first test is to determine if you have a significant market problem. First of all, I think a good test is can you articulate it? Can you say out loud the big problem your customer solves? Can you put some quantifiable numbers around that? We're going to make you 50% better, 20% better, 100% better in whatever this problem area is. Then make sure that if you, once you can make sure you can do it, let's make sure that sales and marketing can do it. So they understand the problem, they understand who has the problem, and they understand what our solution does to make the problem better. Um, and then, of course, you need to help sales and marketing find people with that problem. So that's all assuming that you're able to articulate the market problem that your product solves. What if you can't do that? What if you are not able to articulate the problem? Well, then you really have to do some more work. Um, so a couple of things you can do. You can do what I call post-facto market discovery. If you're lucky, you can find a real problem that your problem can solve effectively, even if you didn't quite have that right the first time when you created the product. Now, um, then of course you'd go back to the previous steps and then you'd articulate the problem, you'd make sure that the salespeople could do it, you'd make sure that you found the right people, and so on. Unfortunately, this rarely works. It does sometimes work, but it rarely works. It rarely happens that a product that is created without a real problem in mind ends up magically solving some other problem that you didn't know about. It does sometimes, it does sometimes work. Now in the case that your product does not really offer a solution to an important market problem, you will unfortunately need to go back to square one and start the search for a real market problem. You really can't sell a product if it doesn't offer us the solution to an important problem. It just, that's just the reality of the world. It's, it's like a law of physics. If you're not achieving the ROI you need to from your product managers, the most likely reason is that you're not providing a solution to an important enough problem. So what can you do? Well, as I said, you can find a market problem that, a market that has the problem your product solves, or you can find a new problem. 
Now this is often the unfortunate outcome of building a product before you have found a meaningful problem. It often or usually means you've actually wasted a bunch of effort. I'm very sorry to tell you that. You shouldn't be too surprised because you know that lots of product companies fail. And this is often why. Tying all this together, we've discussed all the components of, of your effectiveness as a product manager. So let's create an action plan to hit that big number, $41,000 a day or $10 million a year. So first, find big market problems by doing constant discovery. You're going to have to have dozens or even hundreds of conversations to get the insights into the problems the market has. You don't find them from just one conversation, unfortunately. You really should create a, a pipeline of market problems, just like the sales pipeline, because you're going to be getting, you want to have a bunch of different ones to choose from. You want to have a bunch of different market problems that are, valid, that are validated, that are in your space, that can turn into features or turn into new products. Some of them you'll select, elect to do, and some of them you won't. You know, once you've found and validated important market problems to solve and selected the best one or a few to focus on, then you need to guide the creation of excellent solutions to those problems. And you need to prepare sales and marketing to go out and find and close the people who have those problems. By the way, if you're doing this, you probably don't have a lot of time to write user stories. And so you need to start depending on things like my valuable rubric for writing functional specifications, which are really about talking about the problem and the benefits the customer is going to get, and getting into an agreement about the development organization about what the problem is, and then letting them solve the problem, rather than having the product manager solve the problem. So the summary of this whole thing is, product managers have a number. It's a pretty big number, $41,000 a day. You can use this number for assessment, for analysis, and for guidance. And I briefly went through some of the techniques for those. If you become more effective as a product manager, the results of that go straight to the bottom line because you're going to keep the same dev, dev team. You're just going to have them working on something better. You're going to have them getting something valuable to market faster. Um, you're going to get the salespeople to be more effective as salespeople. Um, being more effective, though, is mostly about the problem, the market problem, and not the solution. In other words, even though we're called product managers, the product is not our big problem. The product is not where we need to focus. We need to focus on finding the problem that our product is gonna solve. And better problems lead to more revenue. A product manager's stock and trade is important market problems that people will pay to solve. That's what you need to remember. And if you do that, you'll be able to make $10 million a year. Thanks for joining me on this episode of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode, on the concept of the business value of a product manager, and on the podcast in general. You can leave comments on my website at nelsdavis.com or on iTunes. Until next time, this is Nils Davis. You can follow me on Twitter at Nilsie, which is N-I-L-S-I-E, and you can read my essays about product management at nilsdavis.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe via iTunes. You can search for Responsibility Authority to find the listing, or your favorite podcast subscription method. And please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. The feedback is very helpful for me. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.